0: This is the Wild Ass Podcast, and I am your host, Wild Ass Craig. This is episode 12, and in this episode, I get to introduce all of you to my friend, Pastor Mike Decker. Mike was born in Middle West America in 1962. In the early years of his life, he logged countless hours on the farm schlepping hay bales, riding horses, and building a strong roll-up-your-sleeves work ethic. Mike's first introduction to the world of motorcycles came while living amongst the wheat fields of Kansas. His first bike was a yellow Honda Trail 90. We're going to hear about Mike's progression through motorcycling to where he's at today. Mike and his wife Robin have been married for 36 years. They have two daughters and a son-in-law. For the last 33 years, Mike has served in Costa Mesa, California as a chaplain for the Costa Mesa Police Department and as a pastor for Palm Harvest Church. Mike's motorcycle blog can be read at highroadliving.com, which includes stories of his road trip adventures, which we'll hear of. His weekly prayer and meditation podcast can be heard on Anchor or Spotify, or through his app at hellopastormike.com. So with that, I'd like to say, hello, Pastor Mike.
1: Hello, Wild After
0: Craig. How are you doing today? I am good. It's so it's an honor to have you here, and I feel like I'm I'm rushed at throwing this together. So this is going to be one of the more conversational podcasts that I've had. So I'm really looking forward to this.
1: Love it, love it.
0: Well, thank you for taking the time. I know you're busy, and uh, as the listeners know, we record these, and it's actually a Friday morning, fairly early your time. Is this is this early? What's your normal routine for the day?
1: Well, Fridays are I wake up at five. And for the last 22 years, I play basketball every Friday morning at a local high school here in town. Uh, The principal uh, have generously over the years, you know, allowed me access and my friends, so to speak, to play hoops. So we play basketball for an hour and then I come home and shower and kind of start to, you know, from a pastor's perspective, kind of start getting into game mode because the weekend is always, you know, game day for me. And so uh, this will be a day of dialing things in and kind of starting to get my uh, my game face on for, for Sunday morning.
0: I suppose it's always good to start freshly charged and full of energy. It seems like exercise would take energy out of you, but it really does the opposite, doesn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, in the earlier days when our services were later, our service right now is at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. but when it was at 10, I would always go for like a four-mile run because your point, endorphins are an amazing uh, filter and, and an ener- energizer. Now I'm just old and fat and slow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: as you're as you're saying that you're born in '62, you do not look your age. You have taken very good care of yourself.
1: 60 years old, right? The sun is good. <laughs> Sunshine in California has, has been good to me.
0: Yeah, for sure. For those of you, you and I were kind of talking a little bit before we started recording, what is the mission of the show? And really, I'm not looking for, you know, large advertising paying sponsors. I'm 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 looking like I told you, I have so many friends in the industry. I've gotten to meet so many cool people through what I'm fortunate enough to do. And I just find all these stories and all these people so cool and so interest so interesting that I want to share them and uh I don't know how else to share them except this way. So it's people might be asking, why are you having a pastor on your on your show? Because you're one of those people. You're one of those people we met. I think there was an instant connection. And uh, it's, it's cool to see you at events. We look forward to seeing you when we do. And uh, I want to talk about your history, how you got into motorcycling, and how you're able to wrap that into your sermons every week. Because I am a very loyal listener to the uh, – Palm Harvest podcast. So I'm really excited for this. I know I already said it once, but I'm saying it again.
1: Right on. You know, but, you know, I would just add to that, that isn't that what makes motorcycling so life-giving? It's people's stories. And, you know, inevitably when, you know, I'm on a road trip or, you know, your listeners are taking a road trip, you stop for, you know, a Gatorade or to hydrate or, you know, whatever the case may be, somebody will come up and go, hey, nice bike. And off you go on a conversation, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, sometimes even longer if you have the time. And that's what really makes, I think, a big part of the, at least for me, what brings joy. It's the people you meet and the stories you, you know, you learn and discover along the way, and which is, you know, how you and I got got connected. And so uh, here we are, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Everything is connected by two wheels in my world, which is just unreal. Like I always say, I'm one of the luckiest guys there is. Going back through your, your bio kind of use this as talking points and a guideline. I know you had said you're not usually the interviewee. So <laughs> <laughs> I know this is troubling for you sometimes. Uh, <laughs> in the early years of your life, you spent time on the farm. Do you have any cool memories? You had that first Honda Trail 90, even non-related motorcycle stuff. Anything that just flashes back as I bring that up?
1: Well, I, my growing up, my early years were, in Kansas, uh, we lived in a town of a hundred people. That was the population in sort of Tornado Alley, uh, the wheat fields of you know central Kansas. And during my summers, I would always trek to South Dakota, where my grandfather lived, and uh, my dad obviously. My dad's the oldest of nine kids, and so uh, I'm the I'm at the upper age group of my cousins. And natural really where, where I spent the time on the farm. But in Kansas, I often think about you know how those people don't in the midwest maybe get this but maybe they don't really understand that you know your values so much are shaped by our early childhood years and when i think about growing up on the farm you know you develop this work this work ethic uh this roll up your sleeves get her done kind of mentality because you have to do it you know that's it's just there's no way around it but i think the biggest takeaway you know when i think back to those early years is just the core value of of uh, your word, honesty, you know, growing up, you know, a man's handshake was a contract. And so, uh, the value of, of say what you mean and mean what you say, you know, and keep your, keep your word, even when that hurts sometimes, uh, that's a huge piece that, you know, my upbringing in the Midwest shaped me. And then also just the idea of authenticity. Uh, that, and that's really what draws me even into the motorcycle world. I just love people's stories and everybody has a story and we all have baggage and we all have, you know, uh, stuff. But if people, when people are just willing to be transparent and, and honest and, you know, take ownership, which I think are really Midwest core values, those are the kind of people I'm attracted to. So without question, who I am today was shaped uh, by those midwest bible belt if you will core values that still lead me today as a as a band living in california
0: i can relate to all of it i'm just sitting here nodding i know this is a this is not a video (laughs) podcast but i'm sitting here going yep 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 (laughs) um it's hard to explain how that works but yeah i i get it i think most people get it i think most people in the motorcycle community probably get it so to, to bring that out to the Southwest where it's stereotypically not that way, I think I've, I would probably be proven wrong in most cases. that Most people are all just like we are, good people. Yeah, You are married to Robin. I've been fortunate enough to meet her. Tell us about your kids.
1: Well, I've got two daughters. Uh, one is a CrossFit coach, Gina. She's, um, she can kick anybody's butt. She's like in the top. I want to say five or six percent in the country. Um, she's crazy uh, athletic, and so she's married to Cam, who is in the solar industry. He's one of the top salesmen in the country and in Canada. Uh, he's just he's super hungry, so they they just bought a house and live about a mile from us. So that's really cool. And then our youngest daughter, uh, Casey, she works for a, a company called Parachute on in Venice Beach, which people may know from you know the movies and stuff. And uh, she's uh, they're also her 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 new thing is they're sending her to various places. Like she just got back from uh, San Francisco, where she sets up and designs kind of the store, how the store is supposed to look. So she's headed to Denver here next month. She just got back from Chicago, and as I mentioned, San Francisco. So I got two daughters who are uh, are hungry and active, and uh, fortunately still engaged in in Robin in my life. So we're a we're a blessed family
0: yeah that's very cool and it's nice i'm I'm a child that lives very close to my parents I moved in about 10 years after them and we share 700 feet of property line so it's uh it's really kind of nice I like it so you're lucky to have that in return I know my daughter lives about 20 minutes away and I wish she lived a whole lot closer uh, my son lives about the same distance and I see him less often so I wish I had that closeness but as they get older and things sort out, maybe everything will be fine. You've been a chaplain, which I guess I didn't learn that until probably the last couple of years that you were a chaplain. Were you a pastor at the same time? Like, did that all come together?
1: Yeah. You know, when, if you go back to kind of my call, you know, when I, when, when in, I was in high school, you know, I'm um, trying to determine what I wanted to do for, you know, a career in my faith journey, I, I started feeling this nudge to to vocational ministry. And I really ran from God for a long time. I don't know if, if any of your listeners have ever been in a place where they've kind of uh, given up on the church or given up, you know, been in a place where they felt like God was wanting them to do something. And they said, nope, I'm not doing it. And part of my deal was I just didn't feel like I fit within, I didn't want to sit behind a desk. So this, would get, this is a long answer to your question, but um, I kind of I made this deal with the Lord and listen, OK, I'll go in the ministry. I'll be a pastor, you know, and, and do the pastoral stuff. But I really don't want to spend my time inside the walls of the church. I want to I want to be out in the community. I want to be engaged in our local high schools and our civic arenas. And so fast forward, you know, after after uh, moving to California uh, to take a position as a pastor, I just felt this desire to go down to our local police station, which I did, and said, hey, do you guys have like a chaplain ministry? Because in the military, you know, there's chaplains. And, and in our case, our city didn't uh, have a, a, a police chaplain or even fire chaplains. But about four years later, uh, they developed one. And I was one of the first, uh, I was one of four guys picked to be a part of the chaplain ministry and so at that point i was still pastoring i was a, a pastor here in town but it, it really uh, sort of fed into this this calling if you will i guess uh, i can't really explain it any differently to be in my community and so you know for the last 22 years i announced football games for a local high school i've coached basketball i'm a police chaplain you know, so my, the ministry is out in, you know, in the, doing ride along, you know, I'm a consultant to our police chiefs and fire chiefs. And so that's not your typical, I think if people think about what does a pastor do, uh, that's not a typical role. It's probably only 5% of pastors might even fit that role, but that really defines, uh, who I am. And, and so that's why even on my motorcycle, when I travel, you know, around the country and, and, uh, more recently, uh, we're starting to do these. Uh, on the road broadcast it's engaging but it really fits this desire to to live my my faith if you will or or experience my relationship with god outside the walls of the church and so i've always been very civic uh uh, minded and civic uh you know with the civic in fact my doctorate i have a doctoral degree it's in civic engagement it's just how do you love your city and uh, in my case, I just happen to be a, a man of the cloth, so to speak.
0: As you're speaking, um, I'm wondering why, what moved you to California? Out of, I mean, because you were in South Dakota, right?
1: Yep. That's a, a big move. move. Well, my wife said I'll go anywhere but California. <laughs> and uh, that's where, you know, God has a sense of humor. So if you guys don't know that, uh, when oh, yeah. I, I don't know how, I don't know why that works. But when you say I'll never do that, hold on, because God has a way of, of, you know, change, changing up. You know, when I was in when I was in seminary, I felt called to be a senior pastor. But I had also heard that the best senior pastors are those who have been on staffers because you learn how to serve. You learn, you know, how your your employees, so to speak, uh, what it's like to, to to not be number one, if you will. And so in Sioux Falls, I just began to pray. I asked a friend of mine who had traveled all across the United States and Canada, and I said, "Name me the top five guys." who you've had contact with in the last 10 years, pastors, senior pastors who you would love to work for, you know, guys who aren't going to be threatened by your gifts and your abilities and your maverick tendencies. Um, and so he he gave me the list, name of five guys and I just began to pray. I said, God, you know, if it's possible, I would love the opportunity to serve under one of these five individuals. And uh, over a, a period of a year and a half, I got this one night. I got this phone call from this guy in Costa Mesa, California. And when he introduced himself, and I didn't know, who, I'd never met him. I didn't know his, uh, I didn't know him, but he was one of the guys I was praying to, to work under. And he said, Hey, hey, Mike, my name is Bruce Merrifield. You know, I hear you're looking for a position uh, in, in ministry. Have you ever thought about moving to California? And, uh, so it's, it's March now. It's in March in, in Sioux Falls. It's like a hundred below wind chill. I, I, maybe that's <laughs> that's an exaggeration, right? But you come out and your lungs collapse and the moisture in your nose sticks, you know? And so we we leave Sioux Falls in the middle of this blizzard uh, in March. And when we land in, in Costa Mesa, Orange County, but so Costa Mesa borders, uh, Newport Beach is on the south, Huntington Beach is on the west. So we're a beach city just above both of those. And so we have the coastal breeze and, uh, ideal temperatures, like our year-round temperatures like seventy two point two degrees. And so when we got off the airplane at that point, John Wayne Airport is in Costa Mesa. I remember uh back then you would get off and you would walk across the tarmac. Yeah. Kind of like in in Rapid City, maybe. And uh I remember standing at the door, it was like seventy degrees. You could smell the orange blossoms in the air. And I'm like, what where have I landed? This is amazing. <laughs> And I, I kid you not, Craig, you know, I grew up in Apple Valley, Minnesota in my, my high school and college years, which is a suburb of the Twin Cities. And and so, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, rain and snow and stuff. And there's not a week, I kid you not, there's not a week that doesn't go by that I I thank the Lord. I'm like, how did I get so lucky to live in a place like this? There's no snow to shovel, no car to <laughs> plug in. Uh, uh, so that's that's a long answer, but that's how we landed in, in Costa Mesa. And, and you know, uh, I'll just add to this that you know when when I was growing up as a kid, my observation, and I don't know if this is true in your world or your experience, but pastors tended to to move around a lot. They would stay in one place for five years or eight years or ten years and 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 yet, when I looked at business leaders you know, you put your your stake in the ground and you say, no, this is where I'm going to build my business. And so part of my agreement going into the ministry was, I said, Lord, I don't want to sit behind a desk, but at the same time, I would love to just plant my st- stake in the ground and serve one community, which is sort of a farming mentality. Like, I just want to work the ground. And so, you know, God in his, his faithfulness or generosity, however you want to look at it, has allowed me to, after graduation, uh, to move to Costa Mesa, California in 1989, and I've never left. I've never, uh, I've been in one city, my whole ministry for the last 33 years, and so that's why I have such long, uh, you know, traction with relationships, because, you know, you, you develop, like in my, for example, my, in my announcing football game for a local high school, you know, you get to know parents, and, and one of my really good friends was just a parent. His daughters were in, in high school with, along with my daughters. Well, over time, he became the city manager, right? And over time, these buddies who you know you know, are like we're low-level management, but over 5, 10, 15, 20 years, now you're the police, chief of police, or you're the fire chief, or you're the city manager, or you're the mayor. And, and those relationships, if you move from town to town to town, you would lose that. But in my case, uh, because of my heart for the city, and it goes kind of full circle back to your question about why are you a police chaplain. I just want to, I just want to invest in the community that I live and 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 add value. And so that's a long convoluted answer, but that's that's my story.
0: No, that's that's a great story. I was wondering when you said you landed in California, you flew out of South Dakota, landed out there. Was Robin with you for this? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. I didn't know if it was like, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to come back. But no. So she got this firsthand. Did that change her mind immediately?
1: No, she hated California. Even once she was there? Yeah. She's from North Dakota, you know, she's from, she likes the seasons and it was hard, you know, the first probably five years, six years, seven years that we lived here, you know, at Christmas she would buy this fake can snow and spray it on the windows because you know, the first time we went out looking for a Christmas tree, it was eighty degrees, and so we learned. Okay, well, let's at least go at night, so it sort of feels like it's Christmas time. But you know, it took her a long time, and I'm not sure she's. I mean, she likes it now, but um, you know, if if you're used to the seasons and you like the fall and the spring and the summer and the winter, California is not going to be for you.
0: No, you're going to miss something for sure. How do you get a Christmas tree there? Are they all? fake or do they sell real christmas trees
1: that seems like a dumb question
0: but i don't know the answer to it no no you
1: can you can uh you can go out and cut you know we're only an hour from the mountains i just came down the mountain yesterday i was in big bear mountain i'm only an hour from the you know eight thousand elevation and you can go skiing and snow skiing and you know all the the things you can get winter within an hour so if you want to cut your own tree you can there's places for that
0: okay i always forget how close you are to winter Uh, We were out there for an event last month, and sure enough, we were rolling into California, and there was snow on the top of the mountains in April. And I I had to send a message to my buddy and say, are we seeing that right? But yeah, I I always forget that about Southern California. That's funny. That story was good, and I had so many questions going through it. But I was raised Catholic, uh, baptized, confirmed Catholic. So when you say that the pastors move around... Not in the Catholic Church. They just plant their stakes and stay there till they're 150 years old, I'm pretty sure. Okay. So that's what I remember. <laughs> that's what I remember as you're talking about uh, pastors moving around. I didn't see that. So you, you do all this stuff for your community, which I think is fantastic. Thank you for that. We need more of you in the world, that's for sure. But uh, you also find time to ride a motorcycle. So I want to talk a little bit about your motorcycling story. Your first one was a Trail 70. How well do you remember that?
1: Trail ninety. Uh, uh, trail ninety. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't jib me of those twenty CCs now. <laughs> they
0: were needed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it's it's funny because uh, about a year ago, um, I was it was a Sunday morning and I we happened to have a late service. This is during the COVID COVID ha season, and we had a ten o'clock brunch. And so I went for a run, and I was out and and my neighbor, my 84 year old neighbor, had this trail. 110, a 1984 Trail 110 that he was selling, and and that weekend Brian and Vanessa clock happened to be at her place. Brian's my cousin, and so I came, I ran back to the house, and I said, Brian, let's go look at this motorcycle, and we ended up making this deal. And so now I have this Trail Honda Trail 110. It's red though, but it just it's so nostalgic, you know. It's four four speed. It's an automatic. There's no clutch, but uh, it's just you know it was a great starter bike for sure for somebody who can learn, uh, you know, how to ride a motorcycle without the whole clutch factor. And, um, that was my, that was, you know, a, a good introduction into the motorcycle world.
0: Yeah, definitely. I remember those bikes. I think, um, you're right. Trail 90. I want to say there was a trail 70 as well, right? It seems kind of like the neighbor, 50, I, think. I could be wrong, but the neighbor had a blue one. So I remember it had the goofy little banana, like the real skinny handlebars that came up and curved out. I remember it so specifically because at the same time I had a, uh, and I could be wrong on being the trail. I thought it was a 70 though, but, and I had the little QA 50, and we rode those things all over the neighborhood. So much fun. But yeah, and I remember you posting pictures of that red one when
1: you got it. And and it's so funny because all the old guys in my neighborhood will come out because it has such a distinct sound. And again, it, it, it's what I love about motorcycling is it, it leads to conversation. People just come out and go, hey, and it, tell, it lends to a story that maybe that, you know, takes them back to when they were a kid and stuff. And, and that's what I just find so great about the world of motorcycling. It's, it's just a safe tool, if you will, to open conversation.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you remember your progression of motorcycles? Was there a large gap? How many of you had what where'd you go from the trail ninety? And how old were you when you had that?
1: I think it might have been seven or eight years old. Oh, so you you're know, a little guy. There was a season there was a season when I, I didn't ride at all after I got married and we started having kids. My wife said, No more motorcycle riding because I'm I, I still am a bit of a risk taker and um and so it wasn't until like 8 years ago, 9 years ago when she had a moment of weakness and I my brother had bought a, a motorcycle, he's a professor at Biola University and I'm like he can get a, have a motorcycle, why can't I? And she said okay. And uh, <laughs> that weekend Brian Clark and Laura Clock were in in Orange County for the Long Beach uh, Progressive uh, motorcycle show and uh, I spent the day on uh, it was a uh, what do you call it media day. And so we just looked at Hundreds of bikes, and at the end of the day, Brian and and, uh, Laura, his his previous wife, his ex-wife, looked at each other and said, "Okay, we know what you want." And I thought, "Oh my gosh, you guys are!" I've only this is a two-week conversation after maybe a 30-year hiatus. But two weeks later, Brian showed up at my house with this this Victory uh, Vegas black Vegas uh, April, and uh, that was sort of my big 1600 cc, you know. Uh, introduction into the world after a 30 year hiatus and now I ride a, a cross-country tour which is my touring bike uh, which is was a gift from from Brian and, and Vanessa uh, his his new wife and uh, so it's uh, I definitely love, prefer the big bike over the, the small ones for sure
0: yeah especially for the kind of riding you're doing so you went for quite a while without a bike and then you just went full-on big bike
1: yep go big or go home right
0: uh, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong what prompted the blog? Then did this all start around the same time, or you know, when you started doing the high road living blog, or is this was this leading yeah, up to the no, motorcycle? That,
1: no, that was totally it. You know, and 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 I I just as the encouragement of a friend, someone said you ought know to blog, and and so I started that. You know, when Robin rides with me, which is always my preference, I tend not to focus so much on other people. I tend to focus on her experience and making the trip about her and enjoyable Uh, this summer though she won't be joining me on my you know annual Sturgis trip and so I'm going to be on a 16-day trip and uh, my blog's been a little bit dormant lately but you know every night now I'll be have the time and the capacity to come back to my my room or wherever I'm staying and uh, upload some video and and maybe do some writing on the people that I meet and the stories that you know, I encounter along the way. But no, it, it came as a result of doing these road trips and just a friend saying, hey, you know, we would love to come along with you, but we can't. Have you ever thought about blogging? And so that's where that started. So
0: kind of the same thing here, just you wanted to share your stories. Uh, the people that don't get to see the stories and live the stories, you get to share it with them. That's the same reason you're doing the High Road Living?
1: Oh, for sure. You know, and, and, and particularly for my wife, who's Maybe not along on the ride, but it's a a tangible way for me to maybe just, you know, bring a little, a bit of the experience home so she can feel like she's a part of it.
0: Yeah, it's a great, and what's crazy is I've, I've heard that from a number of people now, just since I started doing this podcast, it seems like that is how so many video bloggers and bloggers, they do it for that reason is to share with their loved ones or to have it Always there for their children or grandchildren. It's just really cool that that's a good way. I would have never thought of doing something like that. You know, it seems like it's just a conversation piece. I would have those conversations and share the stories with Renee, but never document them for everybody to see. I just I think that's really cool. I'd never thought of it that way until I started talking to people about it. So neat. You have a story on your blog about hitting a two hundred pound bear share that one with us.
1: Well, you know, as a motorcyclist, I I think the thing, one of the things I love about riding motorcycles is you can't think about anything else. You can't be thinking about what's going on. Not if you want to survive and and, and live, right? You got to think about what car is going to pull out in front of me and hit me. Where's in my case, where's the manhole cover, you know? And so you're, And when you're on the road, at least for me, I I always go through scenarios of what am I going to do if a deer pops out? And many times they have, right? They come out in front of you or a raccoon or something that could Mm -hmm. really, you know, be catastrophic. And so Robin and I were celebrating, I think it was our, I don't know, 30th or 32nd wedding anniversary. So I had her fly up to Seattle because that was part of my trip. I was doing the Idaho, Seattle, Oregon, California loop. And uh, it was on our second day, we were going through uh, on Highway 101 through the Olympic National kind of forest or park, and uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, just cruising along, and I had just turned off my GoPro, which is a bummer, because it had been rolling the first couple hours of the morning. And all of a sudden, this black bear came bolting out of the, the shrubs, and it was narrow. There were like you know forests, the big trees on both sides, a lot of blueberry and raspberry bushes that lined it, so a lot of prickly thorns and stuff, and this black bear just I don't know if it was the motorcycle that it you know caused him to to bolt, but he came bolting out ahead of me like about thirty yards and and you know you're all again you're always looking for what's gonna hit you. And so instinctively, I downshifted. I was in fifth gear, and when I downshifted the fourth gear, the RPMs of the bike just went super high, and the bike started. It backfired a little bit. You know, the pop, 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 pop as it's grinding down through the gears, and the and the bear just turned his head as he he was about at the center line of this two-lane highway, and uh, you know, and you know, in motorcycling, wherever you look, your bike's going to go. Yes, And so this bear just kind of, you know, turned its head, I think, instinctively to hear the sound. And when he turned his head, his whole body turned. And so without breaking stride, now instead of running away from me, he was now running toward me and took like two lunges. And, you know, if you've ever been in an accident or a high adrenaline situation, everything goes into slow motion. You know, your body uh, chemicals are released and endorphins and, uh, you know everything, your only necessities, you know, kind of what you need are on high alert. And so I knew I was going to hit him. And at the last second, kind of, uh, I had about, I typically drive right on the center line anyways, because I don't like cars pulling into my lane. And so I had about three feet on my right. And so at the last second, I just turned to the right. And so my fairing on the bike, I I guess I, I, I envision if you can envision your elbows, you know, horizontally to your side if you lift up your elbow kind of towards your head it creates a space and so as I was turning away from him simultaneously I was gunning it you know I was revving it up kind of like a water skier being pulled out of the water and he just came underneath my my fairing hit the his head on the gas tank and I still his head mark is still there the imprint is still there I haven't changed up the tank yet uh wiped out our highway bar bounced off my leg, bounced off my wife, took off, uh, took off the side of our, our saddlebag. And, but we stayed up amazingly. So we, we stayed upright. We didn't go down and, uh, I, we thought we killed him, but he was just in the, in the ditch for about 35 minutes, just kind of laying there stunned. And then all of a sudden he got up to the big dump and, and walked, walked into the woods. So, um, Crazy. yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it took me a long time to kind of not think about that. Probably five or six months. Every time I get on the bike, you know, I, I sort of not that it scared me or anything, but it was just such a, a violent experience. I can't think of a different word than that. It was super violent, and obviously God's hand was on us. And the trooper that stopped to help us said that two uh, two other motorcyclists in the last uh, year had had also hit bears. And late at night, though, on motorcycles, and both had been killed. So he was amazed that we were, we were upright and um, alive, and it just speaks to the hand of God. He, obviously, he wanted us to be around for a little bit longer.
0: Right. Your work is not done. You have more work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a crazy story, and I know you've told me that in person. To survive something like that, it's cool. I mean, it, and not even crashing. So was there any real in injury to either of you? You both walked away, everything was fine?
1: Uh, I I still have some residual knee issues. My left knee is, it's not catastrophic, obviously, I'm still playing basketball, but there, I feel it. Like, I don't think you can have a 200-pound bear bounce off your leg, but it, it's interesting because they're soft. If it was a deer, you know, deer are so muscular and they kick a lot, whereas the body of this bear kind of was just this soft blob. Um, I mean, I can still feel it. You know, in my mind, I can still feel it. But here's the here's the even maybe even a better part of the whole story, which comes back to the motorcycle community. You know, I called Brian because now my bike uh, took me two hours to kind of. Um, I didn't want to put it on a tow truck. Uh, you work on your motorcycle in your garage, so in the event that it breaks down, you know how to fix it. So it took me about two hours on the side of the road to kind of unmangle the the bent uh, motorcycle pieces and 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 whatnot. And I reached out to Brian and said, hey, I got this motorcycle now that's pretty in bad shape. Do you know anybody? And this is a week before Sturgis. And so everybody's headed out to the Black Hills for the rally. And, well, Brian put on Facebook, hey, my cousin just hit a bear. Anybody in the Pacific Northwest, can you can you lend a hand? And at that point, Brian Lester, who now is working with Clockworks, but he was living in Seattle at the time, he reached out to a friend of his by the name of Angelo Moore, who has, he's a fabricator with CNA customs and the guys were, they were had the trailer ready. They were ready to roll out of town and they said, have Mike come by the shop. And so um, I went in and Angelo and Travis and Gabe were kind of his, his teammates for the next six hours. They just wrenched on my bike and they changed my tires and they did some welding and to get me back on the road. So I could, cause I still had half of my trip left back to California And it just spoke volumes again. Here are these guys who are doing this work for the most part pro bono. Um, They're delaying their own travel plans to help somebody in the motorcycle community. And that's what I love about the industry. Um, And they're Harley guys. I'm on a a victory bike and and this whole shop is filled with Harley Davidson. And yet it's about how do we share love with people on two wheels. We're a family and so just props to CNA customs in Pacific Northwest, you know, Angela Moore was amazing. And, you know, and then you develop friendships So Brian Lester and I didn't really know each other, but now, like I said, he's with clockworks. And so we've developed a friendship, you know, as a result of this, this Baird experience. And, uh, I love it. I just, I love, I love how, you know, what, what can come out of potential tragedy.
0: It's definitely very cool. And I, I don't, I think it's unique to the motorcycle industry, but you would think it can't really be, but I have i don't hear of it everywhere else in other industries or other hobbies, I should say, where people are so willing to help and just stop what they're doing and make sure you're taken care of, and then instead of taking off on their own thing, you either take off together or you make sure you both take off at the same time.
1: Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure, but it <clears throat> is a unique quality.
0: It definitely is. You do also... I want to talk about your podcast. I'm a faithful listener to the uh, Palm Harvest podcast. And for me personally, you're very relatable. And I think you probably know what that means. Catholic Church is where I grew up. That's not a relatable place for me at all. You know, I, I found a local church that I had gone to quite religiously. That pastor left. Um, the new one, it just, there's nothing there. Like you go there and it just it doesn't relate with me at all. And maybe it's the motorcycling, but yours has become very relatable. It's very, like I said, I'm a very faithful listener. I absolutely love it. For my listeners that don't listen to churchy type podcasts or maybe they're not in relationship with God or whatever. I mean, explain your podcast to my listeners.
1: Well, what you're, what you're t- really talking about is our, I think our Sunday morning broadcast that we do our service. Yes. I have like two podcasts. I do like a weekly prayer and meditation podcast that seems to be really popular among women in their 20s to 40s. Yeah, I don't ten listen
0: minutes. to that one. I listen
1: yeah, to it's a, ten, it's a 10 minute thing. But, you know, the, you know, the thing I love about the, I start my day every day with, you know, by, by being in reading the Bible, because for me, the Bible is just a, it's a, it's a toolkit for, for daily living. And so, you know, I'm a rebel. I know that God loves rebels. The story of the Bible are filled with rebels. And so, you know, my goal is just to make um, not just head knowledge, like there's a difference between, like some people study the Bible just to learn stuff and that's great. But the way I'm wired is how, how does it work? How do you apply it in your life? How does it make a difference in the way I treat my employees or my staff or my friends or my wife or my daughter, right? How do I, how do I deal with those people that really rub me the wrong way? And and so my goal on in any uh, conversation is to how do you make God's word relevant? And you know at the end of the day, I believe God loves you know I just said to your listeners God loves you and He values you and He wants to be in relationship with you and me. And so you know that we say in church that the church is it's a beggar. It's just telling one one beggar another beggar where to find bread, right? And I I guess my, my approach to life is we all put our pants on the same way, one leg at a time. I can learn from you. You can learn from me. And so my goal is to, okay, here's what, here's what it meant back then, like in the days of Jesus or the days of the old Testament, you know, the early Moses and Abraham and David and Goliath and whatever stories you remember from your childhood. But so what, how does that make a difference today in the way I complete this business deal or the way I interact with my wild ass, you know, um, uh, constituency. And I just work hard at that. And, and that's kind of my, um, my, my, uh, signature, I guess, you know, uh, every, every church is going to take on the personality of their primary communicator. And so in my case, if you come to Palm Harvest, we're a church, you know, church is not a building, it's people. And so we're a, we're a, a people group where our focus is not what happens inside the building, but what happens outside the building. And so my goal is: how do you take God's word and apply it in your life so it makes a difference Monday through Saturday, not just Sunday morning from from nine to ten a.m. So, and I'm glad to hear it. you find it relatable because that's the goal. It, I want it to be because um, I I'm growing too. Like, I don't have it all together.
0: <laughs> I don't I don't know anybody that does. My dad always seems to. <laughs> the, the older I get, the smarter he was. <laughs> uh,
1: exactly right. No,
0: um, yeah, the uh, and I think I was listening for quite a while. I want to say it was almost probably a couple of years before we actually met. So it was really it was really an honor to meet you. I think I'm pretty sure it was in Sturgis that we actually ran into each other. I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm it sure was. it was. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Tell us about the
1: Hello Pastor Mike hashtag. How did that come about? Well, back in in 2000, I joined the Chamber of Commerce in our city. And there was a networking group that I was a part of where your local entrepreneurs would gather for a lunch. And it was a networking to try to generate leads for people's businesses. And at the beginning of every lunch, uh, we would go around the room. There were like 25, 30 business entrepreneurs, chiropractors, and life insurance agents, and you know, you name it, real estate, you know, your typical chamber of commerce clientele. And you would do an infomercial and so I just, I don't know, quite know how I landed on it, but I just would say, hey, everybody, I'm Pastor Mike Decker. Say hello, Pastor Mike. And uh, that was my shtick, you know, and it's surprising how that just people resonated with that. Um, you know, hello is just your your universal greeting. Uh, everybody knows kind of what a pastor is, and Mike is one of the more, you know, more common names. And so there's lots of Pastor Mike Deckers out there, uh, But there's only hope. I think at this point, maybe only one. Hello, Pastor Mike, and and it's just uh, I don't quite understand it. But um, the people, why people love it so much? But it's it's memorable, and so even recently, you know, rather than drive people to our website, our church website, we just say go to hellopastormike.com. It's memorable. uh, It's easy now. GoDaddy's having some issues. It might take for whatever reason. It's really slow, but um, it's just it's just. I guess I got landed on it by happenstance and as people like it or or relate to it, it's become a part of, part of, part of my uh, signature, I guess, if you will. Well, it's, I don't know what you think. Do you like it? Oh, I do. Yeah, no, I (laughs) do.
0: (laughs) Corny for sure. It's corny. Yeah, but that's what works. I like it. I'm trying to think if we have anything that I wanted to touch on. Like I said, I I appreciate you tolerating my unorganization. It's been just a crazy last couple months and I'm learning now how hard it is to get a podcast out every couple weeks. And then we had a little glitch on the road that kept us out for an extra week. It was all good, but uh, it's kind of put me behind. So I'm, like I said, learning how much work this really is to have these out every other week. So I appreciate you tolerating this. But did we miss any stories? Is there anything you'd like to share before we get to my favorite part of the show, which is the five questions? Or do you have any questions for me or... I would, Anything well, we need I would to
1: discuss. invite your, you know, your listeners. However, you know, if you, uh, you know, I would love to meet you. So if we're, you know, ever at a Sturgis rally and please come up and say hello, you know, and just say, Hey, my name's, you know, Joe and I live here. And cause that's, again, it, it just goes back to, that's what I love so much about, you know, the motorcycle industry. Not too long ago, I was up in Utah. Uh, Clockwork helped sponsor, Kind of the rebirth, if you will, of the Bagger Racing League. Yeah, and so I flew out to Mitchell, South Dakota. We did a you know a broadcast from the Corn Palace, and then I joined the Clockworks Crew as we you know toured across the country for this uh, Bagger Racing League. And while I was up in the, they had asked me to do kind of an opening invocation. Because there's a motorcycle guy who always ha- happens to be a passer. It was a televised event. Hey, would you be willing to do an invitation, kind of an opening prayer for, you know, this this racing league? Well, While I, while I was up, in the, up the, in the booth at the way up at the top, uh, ready for kind of chilling in the air conditioning, I get the pit row guy. Manager came up to me and he said, hey, are you Mike Decker? And he go, yeah. And he said, uh, one of the racers would like to meet you uh, before, you know, game time. And so I went down and I had a chance to meet Tyler O'Hara who runs rides for Indian. He's a elite motorcycle rider, O'Hara. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, like 10 minutes before he's ready to go, he's got his vampire, you know, gargoyle contact. in. I mean, he was intense, but we just spent like 10 minutes, you know, chatting a little bit, and you know, going through kind of his game plan and just having the opportunity to pray for him and that, you know, so here's a guy who, who, who rides for the brand, so to speak, but it also is a man of faith. He's trying to honor God through his motorcycle skills. And, you know, I, I just love that about the, the motorcycle industry, that God can use anybody and whatever you're good at, there's a place for you to add value to people. And so, you know, as you, I just challenge your listeners, you know, as you go to these rallies, don't just. Be an observer, but say hello and introduce yourself. Because believe it or not, just your word of encouragement or your simple offer to help uh, might really make a difference in in someone in someone's day. And um, Tyler impacted me, I I think, as much as I maybe impacted him. That it was just the great opportunity that comes again through the motorcycle, uh, the sport of riding motorcycles. And we're a family, and uh, together we're, we're we're stronger.
0: Yeah, even and what an easier place to do it than a motorcycle event, because everybody's in a good mood. <laughs> I, you cannot find a better place to just walk up to somebody and say, hey, what's up, or just even smile at people. So
1: there you go. pretty easy be, advice be, to
0: follow right there.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Well, cool. So you've heard the podcast before. We've added some questions. I've changed a few things because some planned answers started coming about,
1: and I like to mix it up. Good, because I don't know what your five questions are, so I'm, I'm, I'm a rookie here.
0: Okay, well, good. This is a brand new question. You're the first person I'm going to ask this to. How would you describe motorcycle riding to somebody that has never ridden a motorcycle?
1: Life-giving. Um, you know, the ability to just enjoy God's creation. Motorcycle riding and surfing are a lot alike. Where When you're on your surfboard out in the ocean and there's dolphins swimming around you, it's just there's something spiritual about it, and I, I, I have a bit of a creative pathway, meaning that when I'm outdoors or in the mountains, you know, I guess is what you're saying, I just feel God's closeness, and so for me, motorcycle riding, what it's, it's a spiritual experience. You know, you get on the bike, and you just ride, and when you're out on a back road somewhere in, in middle America— uh, and there's, you know, you're smelling the alfalfa in the fields or, you know, the water along the lake or even the desert. Ah, it's just, it's, it's it's for me at least, it's just life-giving. So uh, that may be a, not a the answer you're looking for, but it it's certainly, it's an experience um, that...
0: Uh, it's actually a very experiential description, if that makes any sense. If I'm saying that right. Um, I mean, think about you're it. describing you're in the, in the experience car, of it, which is
1: yeah, very cool. You know, when you're in your car, you don't smell the dust. No, nope. you know, you don't smell the pine of the trees, the evergreen trees. But when you're on a motorcycle, you know, it's interesting. My wife Robin, she gets incredible car car sickness when she's in a car that goes around curves, and so for most of her life, she's never been able to enjoy, enjoy the mountains because she's always puking. But on a motorcycle, she doesn't get sick. And the first trip we took, you know, we have our headsets and we're talking and stuff. And I just kept hearing her go, wow, wow. You know, not only was it beautiful, but it was stuff she had never seen and get to experience. And she got to, and she wasn't sick. And so for those of you who have a spouse, maybe who are listening and and maybe, you know, going around a windy road, causes them to blow groceries, maybe motorcycling, you know, is a, is a, something they should consider doing because for Robin it's been a game changer. Interesting.
0: Another question, question number 2. What would be the best advice you have gotten as a motorcyclist?
1: Um ride at your own pace. You when were... I first started Laura Clark encouraged me to take a class and you know more Laura has set land speed records and you know she's a pretty accomplished rider. And uh, I mean, she's famous, but she said, Mike, you know, you're going to ride with others who might go faster and just have a higher skill level. Let them go at their pace. You ride at your own pace. And, you know, when I went to my class, even though I had ridden, you know, many, many years for most of my life and uh, motorcycle riding and horseback riding are are really similar. But the things you learn in these, these instructional classes is like they really will save your life. And so, you know, Laura's advice to get training, learn from other people, and ride at your own pace really has shaped has shaped my riding experience.
0: Very good advice, for sure. What is the worst advice you see or hear being given in the motorcycling community?
1: <sighs> I don't have an answer to that.
0: It's funny to see, you know, and and I like to ask these because, you know, you're a pastor. I have people that work for fact, you know, manufacturers, I have long distance riders, all different people from different walks of life. And that the answer to these questions are quite a bit different just from your perspective. That's why I like to find out, uh, if you've heard any bad, you hear somebody giving some advice and just go, that's not, doesn't make sense. Nothing you can think of.
1: No. And I, I'm not wired. I'm a glass half full kind of guy. I don't really listen to negativity. Like I, I have a, I can remember everybody's story, but I don't ever dwell on on people's baggage. Doesn't influence my attitude about them. I just don't. I just don't. The negativity. I don't cling on to. So I've probably heard it, but it just went up in ear, one ear in, one ear and out the other. I just yeah. don't give much uh, space to negative, pessimistic attitudes. I don't have space for it. Okay, fair enough.
0: What is um. What would be on the top of your bucket list? Something you haven't done yet that you want to get done, or do, or see?
1: Well, in terms of motorcycle riding, I have two two bucket lists. I want to do the tail of the dragon. I'm not done that. I'd like to experience that, and I'd also like to spend two weeks in Ireland. It's an island, and you know, I would love to do take two weeks to ride that. So. Those are two of my more prominent bucket lists and then I guess I have to add, you know, a close third and maybe somewhere smushed in between those is Alaska. You know, when I was in college, I was I was had been saving to to buy up my Harley, Harley Davidson motorcycle. I lived in, in Tacoma, Washington at the time I was 25 and uh, I was pretty accomplished in the sport of karate and I wanted to I was, I was making plans to go to Alaska to work the fishing boats because I knew I could um Handle myself uh, through my self-defense perspective because it's a pretty rough industry. And uh, my goal was to buy a motorcycle, uh, a bigger bike, and uh, ride up to Alaska and work the fishing boats. But instead, I landed at Bend Bridge and, and walked out with the diamond ring and asked Robin to marry me. We had been <laughs> dating for four years. So that was the end of that dream, uh, if you will. And so there's, I still have yet to uh, to, to get to Alaska. But I would love to spend a couple of weeks um, traveling there and maybe that should, maybe that should uh, be at the top of the list of even over Ireland because it's probably more doable and easier to get there. But those would be the three, three things that I would love to do uh, on two wheels.
0: The, uh, the last question, and this is a brand new one. What is your favorite non-motorcycle hobby?
1: uh having sex with my wife does that count
0: (laughs) (laughs) can you say that as a pastor (laughs) can you you say that's a hobby i mean well i didn't know what to expect but it was not
1: that (laughs) okay and it's i probably just grossed out every every listener you may want to delete that no i think what
0: you just did is humanized (laughs) a pastor (laughs) oh man (laughs) that's funny No, that's great what um Let's see I usually ask your, you know, last parting words. You kind of gave us those. Make sure that we're we're out there just generally being good people to summarize what you said. Introduce yourself, feel free to smile at people and make people smile. Right? And what better place to do that than a motorcycle event?
1: Yeah, and I, I would clo- I would just close, you know, sharing my life has been transformed by Jesus. And Jesus was a guy when you read the Bible, he hung out with a riffraff I think Jesus, if if it's if, if modern day, he'd be wearing leathers, riding motorcycles and going to rallies. Now, he might not be fraternizing in a way that, you know, some do in every arena, but he loved the authenticity of people. And, you know, maybe you're in a place in your life where you've given up on church or maybe your experience with faith um, has wounded you. I would just invite you to be open to come back to, to explore what that might look like. And if uh, listening to, you know, my podcast, uh, as Craig mentioned, can help you with that, you, know, you can go to high road, or rather, uh, hello, pastor com. There's an app there that you can download and uh, we'll, you know, give you resources. If you want to listen to me, you know, flap my gums, but really at the end of the day, Jesus loves you. He values you and he wants to be in relationship with you. And he's not surprised by anything you've done or any experience you've had. And, uh, my life's been transformed by him. And if God can love me, he can certainly love all of you. So that would be my closing um, comment. <laughs> well
0: said, well said. Where can we follow you? Instagram, Facebook, how do we How do we find you?
1: So Instagram, my uh, I have two Instagram accounts, one's Costa Mesa Man, because I'm in Costa Mesa. Um, that's where a lot of my motorcycle stuff, videos and stuff. But then also I have a Hello Pastor Mike Instagram. So those two places and then if you just go to hello uh, High Road Living you mentioned that highroadliving.com. It's a blog I, I'm not very good at it but I'll start doing that once I head out on my trip here next month. And then uh, hellopastormike.com, download the app and uh, there's resources there and we can tune in and and at the, just at the end of the day uh, you know if you see me, you know like, we never really talked about it but you know but Brian clock and I are first cousins and so you know we're close in age and we spend a lot of time together and so anytime i can go to a clockworks event uh, i try to Yeah, clockworks family is my family and so if you happen to be at an event uh, ask around and see if i'm there and i'd love to meet you we we'll meet your listening audience
0: for sure and we usually know where he's at we stay in touch at the wild ass booth as well so stop by and ask where he's at usually we can just point over at you over across the parking lot yeah um so no very cool it was a An honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to come and join me. Um, I'll let you get your game face on for the weekend. Folks, if you (laughs) like what you're hearing, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. You can follow The Adventures on Facebook or Instagram by looking for The Real Wild Ass. And, of course, I am Wild Ass Craig. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you again in a couple weeks. And, of course, thank you again, Pastor Mike, for coming on.
1: You bet.